You're listening to Film School, broadcasting every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, and on the web at KUCI.org slash Film School. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. Patricia Folkrod began her career in film and television as an assistant in news and public affairs at WNET in New York. After moving to Los Angeles in the early 1980s, she produced the acclaimed documentary The Living Seas and produced and directed They're Doing My Time, an hour-long PBS documentary focusing on children whose mothers are in prison. Her latest film is The Ground Truth, a documentary about patriotic young Americans who heeded the call for military service in Iraq, Patricia Folkrod, welcome to Film School. Thank you. How are you today? Great. Now, you're just up the road in Santa Monica, am I right? Or somewhere uh, around ben- there? I'm in Venice. Venice? How, how's, how is it in Venice today? Is it foggy or, <laughs> or fun? It, it's foggy, and there's, I go to, to this place um, every morning with its real community uh, where we all sort of straggle in and get our coffee. Uh, <laughs> is that where you are now? You no, spa, I came back home. Came back with your you. with your coffee. Very good. Well, thank you. So, tell me, was there a moment in time you decided it was time to uh, to do this documentary, The Ground Truth? Was there a point within this conflict in Iraq where you just said, "I've I've got to make a documentary about this"? Or is it, was was there an inspirational moment? Well, um, I can't a, say that it was inspirational as much as it was outrage. Ah. Uh, yes, but there was a deciding moment. I somehow ended up with a newsletter um, uh, from Jim Hightower. I don't subscribe, but somehow I, I had it. And he talked about um, the lack of body armor, and there was a, a story about a nurse in, in Baghdad who was trying to save soldiers after surgery, and they didn't have the proper equipment. So she went out and got cardboard boxes and put them together and made, like, a little womb um, for soldiers to get into in this cardboard box after surgery so they wouldn't get too cold, and she blew her hair dryer on them mm. to wow. create hot air. And um, Was this an uh, American nurse? Is that what you American soldier nurse? Yeah, it was an American nurse. It was in the first few months of the invasion, and um, it just brought home to me how ill-prepared we were for this invasion and how much... Um, soldiers were paying the price. So I started doing some research, and I found a few articles that said that 18 to 20,000 um, uh, soldiers had already been medically air-vacked out of Iraq, and we were only about six months into the um, invasion. So I knew right then and there that there was a huge toll that we were already taking that nobody was hearing about. Um, the wounded are mostly characterized as people who are either shot at or blown up. But we never hear about the people who just become sick or who are in car accidents or who develop um, minor or not so minor injuries um, as a result of being in a combat zone. Yeah. And so I felt that I needed to go make a film about the invisible wounded. And then along the way, I realized that what what I really wanted to focus on was the effects of killing and of witnessing killing and how that changes your life. 
And you did it from a soldier's perspective. It wasn't, it's not as if you gathered a bunch of wonks together and generals and such. These are people who have actually been in combat and have, and have dealt with the very real consequences of war. Yeah, and these are people who have taken life or who have seen, you know, their, their friends or just seen other Iraqis die. Patricia, um, Patricia, I'm so, no, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I, so you're telling me that we went to war not with the army that we wanted, but with the army we had. Do you remember that famous quote from uh, Donald Rumsfeld, right? So in other words, he was, in my mind, do you remember that quote? Where you go to the army with the army you have, you go to war with the army you have as, as opposed to the army you want. You remember him saying that? He's, yeah, I do. And, you know, what? I don't know if you saw yesterday's paper. I mean, um, you know, retired generals yeah. are now coming out and saying this man has cost many, many lives. I mean, yeah. he is um, um, he is just, uh, I don't know. I don't get into the politics of it, but I don't know. I just feel for these soldiers because to be serving in a war that is um, ambiguous at best um, makes it so difficult. I mean, I don't think the American people understand what a stop loss is. It's like being in prison. You do your time. You serve your contract. And then the government says, oh, sorry, we're in a war. You can't go. You're going to be redeployed. You have to stay another six months. Mm-hmm. And imagine being blown up or injured or losing your wife to divorce or, you know, never seeing your kids raised because somebody who's never been in combat decides that serving out your contract is not enough. Mm. I mean, it is a form of prison. Well, And, and we don't look at it that way. And it's also another another. Factor another aspect of that is imagine being in a war where you don't know truly you don't know who the enemy is where they are uh, the stress level has got to be overwhelming when you're in that situation and when you think you're out of it when you think you've you've done your time and you're on you you believe that this is it and then you're told that you're going to go back for a second third and I've even heard of of um, outfits going back for fourth tours of duty now. In, in Iraq, so it, it is... No, and people are going back who have post-traumatic stress. People are going back who are not um, who are not in any shape to be going back, but what's their choice? To either go back or face jail. And, uh, you know, there are uh, at least six to 8,000, maybe more, um, uh, people in this country who have either not shown up for duty, have gone AWOL, I mean, we never hear about this because it would probably send a cry for rebellion among um, among the recruits and among people who are being redeployed. Um, you know, there's always strength in numbers. And um, while Canada is resistant to being um, a, a continuing place for, and refuge for our soldiers, there are many people who are not going back. And, um, you know, so that should be indicative of how um, confusing and, um, and complicated uh, this mission is. You know, and actually, I, I don't even mean that. I don't think it is that complicated. I think we got into something that we can't get out of, and the people who are paying the price for it are our soldiers. And we all pay lip service to it, but I don't think we're actually stepping up and doing very much about it. 
Well, I think this film does step up and do something about it, and, and thank you for that. That's it's it's good for people to see what the consequences are, and and uh, you've managed to capture that. Is is it was there a? Uh, I guess what I really want to talk about is is recruiters too. Did you feel that that many of the uh, the soldiers here felt betrayed by the recruiters? Were were the tactics uh, over the top in trying to get them in in the first place? Um, I I don't. I think that they felt a little hoodwink. Um, if you really listen to my interviews or even just a few sound bites that are in there about recruiting, uh-huh. I think that they felt they were seduced. And that they were, um, they made it much more enticing than it was. Absolutely. But I think the real betrayal comes from people who feel that they were, um, that they were going on a mission that had purpose mm-hmm. and that was worth going on, that they were really going to defend America after 9 11. I think many of the people that I met thought they were going to Afghanistan or that they were doing something that we sold or the government sold as um, as important and necessary. You know, it was necessary to go liberate the Iraqi people from Saddam. It was necessary to go to Afghanistan and dismantle the Taliban. But that's not what these guys are doing. They're basically just waking up every day and trying to stay alive. And the enemy becomes anybody that's shooting at you or at your um, buddies. And that's not a war. That's, I mean, it is a war, but it's, it's not the war they signed up for. The, uh, I want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with uh, Patricia Folkrod in her new documentary called The Ground Truth uh, we're talking about. Um, and I, I'm just blanking out on the football player who, who enlisted after 9-11. And it went oh, Pat, um, Pat, Pat Tillman. Tillman, you mean? Yeah, uh-huh. Pat Tillman. Certainly an example of what you're talking about, somebody who signed up, who gave up a very lucrative multi-million dollar football contract to enlist in the special forces, went to Afghanistan, and uh, he himself almost uh, didn't take him long to figure out that the, the war in Iraq was... Was uh, was bogus? <laughs> was yeah? Was uh, ill-conceived. Well, he was also killed in friendly fire. Yeah, and he was well in that story, and and that reminds me of another sort of recruiting propaganda, and really, it is a propaganda uh, story. The story of Jessica Lynch, the uh, the woman who was uh, was captured and then recaptured by American soldiers. That all turned out to be a, a complete, um, I want to say, complete lie, but certainly um, twisted the circumstances of her. Uh, of her capture, so we we have this sort of we have this uh, story making machine, Pat Tillman and Jessica Lynch, that induces a lot of people to join up because it it sounds like the noble cause. And uh, well, I, you know, I I think the the bigger question is what does the new what does the next generation? You know, the, yeah. I, I'm older. Um, I'm in my early fifties, and. Um, mm. My uh, my generation went through Vietnam, and I wasn't an activist during the Vietnam War. I was in college, and I don't know where my head was, but it was, you know, it was wrapped around boys and partying. It wasn't wrapped around the Vietnam War, and, uh, you know, and I wish it had been. Um, but, uh, you know, I was interviewed by MTV when I was at Sundance, and I said, you know, this is, this is not my this is not my war in the sense that the next generation is going to be living with all of these men and women who are coming home with no limbs and 
and who are surviving because of the technology and who need the, are going to need support for the rest of their lives. And, you know, they go to Walter Reed, and the president goes by, and Rumsfeld comes to visit. But who's going to be there for these people when they're sent home and their wives can't take the burden and they don't have proper medical care 10 years from now and the benefits have been cut and no one's going to remember that they went to Iraq and, um, and were under orders to be there and then became disabled for the rest of their life. Yes. And, you know, I think this generation would have a whole different dialogue going if the draft was, um, uh, you know, was put into effect tomorrow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and I really, you know, I really, I don't, I'm not critical that this generation is not more active because I think it's very hard to be active when it's not a pressing issue. I think that we all go about our day and hope that somebody else is doing it. Right. But I really would ask this generation, how do you want to take care of each other and keep each other from being recruited? And how do you want to take care of the people who are really just a year or two older? They're 19, they're 20, um, they're college age, and they're coming home scarred forever. I want, I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Patricia Folkrod, and the, the documentary is The Ground Truth. Uh, it, in keeping with what you just said, less than 1% of 297 million Americans are engaged in active military service, or reserve, or otherwise. The lowest percentage of population serving in the armed forces in a century. One of the, that is one of the ways in which we are disconnected. Less than 1% of Americans are, are in military service. Um, but we also, the statistics, we had Penny Coleman on here a couple of weeks ago, talking about, uh, from her book, uh, Flashback, talking about returning vets. And many of the statistics that I see in the package that we got uh, are reflected uh, in her book, about the mental health state of these people as they come back. One-third of them are seeking me- med- uh, mental health um, care, and yet the uh, the resources available are just minuscule. One in 300 actually gets to see somebody and spend any time with a mental health expert. So we're, we're, not, we're not prepared to deal with them, not only in... The, in the the aftermath, but we're not de- prepared even to deal with them when they're in the field of battle, as you talked about the the uh, their preparation and and the equipment they have. No, we're not. And you know, the, the reason I made the ground truth was um, to see if we could start a dialogue, to yeah. see if we could really face um, why what a military does when it is deployed. I, I'm not some, I'm not a pacifist. I'm not someone who says we should not have a military or a National Guard, if there's an earthquake here in California tomorrow, I'm not going to call an activist. I'm going to probably want, I'm going to want trained people who know how to help me in a time of crisis. And, um, but my question is, do we really face what it is, how it works when we train people to go into combat to kill, and then, um, they do exactly what they're trained to do, and then they come home and have to deal with that. I think we have a responsibility that if we put anybody on a plane and send them to war, we have to know before we get on that, they get on that plane what we're asking them to do and what is our commitment to them to do the job that we tell them or that we, we allow them to go do. We, we all kind of act like we don't know where they're going. Yeah. You know, we wave goodbye and treat them like they're 
courageous heroes for being deployed, and we thank them when they come home. Well, what are we thanking them for? Right. We're thanking them for going into battle, and theoretically, battle is the last resort. It's not the first resort. And anybody in the military will tell you, if, if your solution is a military solution, then you've probably failed. Right. Because you were supposed to figure that out before you had to send the military in. Yeah. The military, in its best form, is used as a deterrent. And, and then the rest of us genuflect at these vacuous and empty phrases like support our troops without understanding in any, any of the ramifications of what that actually means. Well, we say support our troops because then we're off the hook. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. We, 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 we sort of we, we make the sign of the cross in front of the support our troops sign and say, well, that takes care of what I need because I support the troops. Well, what does that mean? Do you support well, the policy? I know. Do you support well, that's why you yeah, know, my any film of these things. may yeah. appear very yeah. critical of the military, but in fact, no. I made the film to be very critical of the American people. Right. And right. Um, what our plan is and what the design of Focus features is that we, as of today, the DVD is available. It's available on Netflix. It's available oh, at, um, at Best Buy, at... Uh, Blockbuster, it's available on our website, which is thegroundtruth.net. And what we're asking is for people to get the DVD and to share it with friends and to encourage other people to um, go and, and, and get the film and to watch it and really have a dialogue about what this means. It's very hard to get people to understand an experience that they haven't experienced um, and I would never, I, I would always hope that people don't have to experience war in order to be empathetic and in, in order to be engaged in what it means when our country does go to war. So we're hoping um, that particularly through October 4th and 11th, that people have gatherings, that they have a potluck dinner, that they show it in their church, that they show it on campus. Um, we're working with a lot of schools around the country, and um, we just want people to watch the movie. And I'm not saying my film is the only Iraq movie. It's just that it's one of the only ones that's specifically from the voices of the soldiers themselves. Very good. And um, so that's what we're doing. Well, we're we, have, we really just want a dialogue. We're having a screening uh, down here at the Orange County Catholic Worker. I know that's among the, the ones listed on your site. And there are others. We'll, we'll make There's sure. There's Irvine United Congregational Church uh, showing on October 10th, too. We'll, we'll post those at our website. We'll, we'll definitely post uh, thegroundtruth.net at our website. Well, we really um, appreciate that. And, again, you know, it's, I I can't emphasize enough. Watching a film is is an action, but it's not enough. Right. Um, I think we all should know who in our community is back from Iraq and Afghanistan. I think we should not be shy to reach out. You can find out from vet centers. You can go and volunteer, and to just ask people. You know, is your rent paid? Is your car working? Are your kids and your wife okay? You know, uh, can I give you a ride? Can I do anything? To just be there. Can I can I help put you together with another veteran um, your age? That is one of the single most helpful things we can ever do is to help our soldiers coming home stay connected to each other. Well, I appreciate you, you being on a film school. The film is The Ground Truth. Patricia Folkrod, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me.
To learn more about film school, listen to more interviews, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at KUCI.org slash filmschool.